Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, ears ringing from the battle fire, guitar fighting the TV, that hound dog is history, and we're headed for a big divorce, California style. Because I'm still in love with you, I want to see you dance again, because I'm still in love with you. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. All right, so tonight we're doing the 1992 album Harvest Moon by Neil Young. And uh, as always, when uh, we talk about these albums, the first thing we do is go to the person who picked it tonight's pick is a jam pick so jam i ask you why on god's green earth did you pick harvest moon by neil young <laughs> uh tony i'm glad you asked um i'm going to preface this by saying that i know a lot of people that are huge neil young fans and people that i respect music with i respect their musical taste they are huge neil young fans I cannot consider myself a Neil Young fan. I do like a lot of the stuff that he has done in the past. Um, but overall, his body of work is just not something that I'm totally interested in. I think that he has written some great songs, but I cannot really pinpoint or, or I can't really focus in on an album or really even a time of Neil Young where I'm, I'm interested in what he was doing. But this album is an anomaly to me. This is the first Neil Young album and the only Neil Young album that I know of that I can listen to all the way through and be totally engaged in. I, I think it's a, a, a very good album. I think this finds him at his at the peak of his songwriting ability. But Neil Young, it, he may be the most frustrating personality and rock i mean he, he he's schizophrenic it's he's electric um sometimes he's acoustic other times uh he's a guitar god sometimes he's an acoustic folky another time he dabbles in uh synthesizer stuff you know i'm talking about the early 80s stuff that he did when he first jumped to geffen records Sometimes I find him just one of the most boring songwriters around. His songs just leave me flat. Even songs that people absolutely love, I, I'm just I'm not. I don't I don't see it. Like what? Uh, old man. Old man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. 
the stuff that he did later in life with uh, off of freedom where um keep on rocking in the free world You really have to like that one phrase a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, there's just song. There's just things that people seem that critics seem to uh, uh, gravitate to that I just haven't. That I just don't I, see what the what the what the big deal is about. I, I I think Doug just raises an interesting point. I think Neil. I could be wrong. I think Neil Young has a has a, a reputation for being a bit of a uh, of. It, outside of just a songwriter of a guy who writes some pretty poignant lyrics. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I think he, I think he can, but I, I think, think yeah, I think a lot of times um, he doesn't. Um, and there's songs on this album where that um, that's kind of apparent. Like another question, Jam, uh, since this is the only album you can really listen through of his all the way through, how many Neil Young albums do you own? I'm just curious. I will be honest. I own three Neil Young albums. Um, and they are it on is, the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's this one uh-huh. uh, live at Massey Hall and Harvest. OK, um, which is my second favorite Neil Young album. Well, I it, it's funny. Uh, you, you mentioned his spectrum of like his broad range of what he does, uh, you know, and, and he's hard to pin down. He's schizophrenic. I, I, I it sounds like you're like me in that um, you tend to lean towards his more acoustic side of things. I, I really think that's where his strength is, personally. I know people I love crazy horse, crazy horse stuff. That is not, I, I that stuff leaves me cold. Um, but I do, I do like his acoustic stuff a lot. Um, I think that's where he really, where he seems to be the most at home and the, and the, the has the ability to conjure up emotions that he can't yeah. otherwise. He is regarded as a, I mean, a, a guitar God. And I've never understood that either. I think his guitar playing is very rudimentary. I, there's, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot think of a guitar solo of his. Uh, that I actually like, I can think of riffs. I like it's like, uh, on, it's, yeah. Like on powder finger, powder finger, yeah. that, that riff and powder finger is amazing. It, It's interesting you mentioned his guitar playing because I, I think that leads into one of my biggest issues with him is that he inspired a whole genre of music that I personally think killed rock and roll, and that's grunge. <laughs> um, and he embraced that. He's, a, you know, he's got a nick and one of his nicknames is the Godfather of Grunge. And that's a that's a moniker he embraces wholeheartedly. Um, if I were him, I would I would be uh, insulted if anyone called me that. But whatever. <laughs> um, I think that he did kind of teach some of those crunch players that, Hey, you don't have to be a virtuoso to actually play lead guitar, but well, or I mean, with distortion. Um, what's his name from Nirvana? I shouldn't say what's his name. I feel bad about that. But Kurt, Kurt Cobain, Cobain uh, quoted him in a suicide note. Yeah. It, and know? it's, yeah. And, and, but it, he has done more to make bad guitarists, I think than just about, <laughs> 
which anybody which, out there, which I feel like that's any grunge band, bad mm-hmm. guitarist. Um, yeah, I really do. I mean, grunge to me, uh, it, it just taught a bunch of guys that could barely play that they could actually try to, to, to play. It's funny guitar. to me that the most talented guitarist in Nirvana was actually the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's an aside, that. yeah. So, yeah, you know, Doug would say one of the things he looks for in an album is trying to figure out, you know, where did this album come from? Like, he'll have no idea where this album come, came from. I have it. I know exactly where this album came from, and it's one of the albums I own, Harvest. Um <laughs> But, you know, the album that he made 20 years before this one, and even to the point where he had the idea that he would actually bring in a lot of the original musicians that were on Harvest. You know, Neil Young disagrees with you, or at least in hindsight, he disagrees with you that this album uh, is is essentially a sequel to Harvest. I I don't know. I think that's ridiculous that he. I even heard that he looked up the same. Almost everybody that was on Harvest is well, on Harvest Moon. Harvest the the song uh one of the songs on this album and we'll get to it I have to get to my notes is a song that was something that he was you know beating around with in the in the mid 70s and one of the guys on it says, "Oh man, this sounds like Harvest. You need to you need to do this again." So, you yeah. know, he's like I said, he's protesting a lot by saying that there's not that there's a he says, "Well, in tone maybe, subject matter maybe." <laughs> He named the damn album Harvest Moon. Yeah, Harvest Harvest Moon. Come on. He even in one song he even even sounds like old man and 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 he uses the Mm -hmm. word old man. Yeah, it's. uh, I hate to say this, but there's some definite uh, using a Cosby, Stills, Nash, and Young word. There's a lot of deja vu on this (laughs) album. (laughs) There is, and you know what? Speaking of which, yeah, it's that time again. Uh oh, uh oh, are we gonna play We've the game? We've all been here before. A game of connection. Okay. Where Washington. I'm going to ask these guys who've been talking a lot about <laughs> um, previous albums that share something with this album or the artist. Okay. All right. Who's up first? I just asked the question. Just asked okay. the question. We'll are see. you ready? Previous sure. albums that sound something that have something in common with this album or the artist. Ready, go. The Grateful Dead. Okay, how's that, Tony? Well, uh, the Dead recorded American Beauty in the same studio that Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young were recording Deja Vu. There you go. And and they learned their or patterned their a little bit patterned their vocal stylings after what Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young uh, did. Or they tried. They tried. <laughs> And and uh, I'm not I'm not sad at all that it didn't work out. Um, I think it worked out uh, in a new way that I enjoy quite a bit. What else do we have? JM already said one is that <laughs> you said Emmylou Harris. I did say Emmylou Harris. What I can't remember what I said Emmylou Harris about. <laughs> well, she sings on his albums and he sang on her album. He was a backup singer on uh, Wrecking Ball. Yeah, which uh, Wrecking Ball which, was uh, her uh, her album, and also the worst song on that album, and it was written <laughs> by Neil Young. How about Bruce Springsteen? Oh, geez. not following oh, that one. Yeah, hint they shared a supporting player on this album. Neil's or in his, 
Oh, yeah. Nils Lofgren played for both uh, the E Street Band, and, or I guess he still does, and he played for uh, Neil Young back in his uh, groovy days. Yeah. Not After on this album. Rush. How about... How about how about Rush? That's right. I was going to bring that up last, but I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Tony. As many of y'all know, um, we love our Canadian friends, and the fantastic Canadian band Rush is also <laughs> Canadian, as is um, Neil Young, and the and the fact that uh, Neil Young is Canadian. Uh, makes us so happy to have him come down here and comment on all our uh, <laughs> failings and politics. Uh, we do appreciate that. We another uh, another connection is with uh, the birds. Uh, Chris Hillman got Buffalo Springfield, which was uh, Neil Young's really kind of his big uh, first big break. He got the yep. first gig, I think, at the Troubadour. Maybe uh, was it the Troubadour or maybe the um, I don't know one of the one of the one of the bars and. In LA, if it was a troubadour, then there's a connection to Tom Waits. Tom Waits, well. Asylum, yep. and um, David yep. Geffen. It's a big happy. Oh family. yeah, there you and, go. Uh, yeah. And I don't know who was in Laurel Canyon that we've already talked about, but uh, that's what was yeah. uh, that's what was happening back in these days, or not the these days, but early days. So that's we it for connections tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for playing. <laughs> And we'll be back next week with more connections. So I, I want to briefly talk a little bit about Neil Young's history. I don't want to dive too deep into it because we're talking about an album that was made well into his musical career. And uh, and there plenty of people know about where he came from. But I do find it interesting for those of you who are listening who don't know about some of the stuff. I found it fascinating. Hopefully you will, too. Anyway, as we've already mentioned, he was born in, in Toronto in 1945, um, but he spent most of his time in rural Ontario. Uh, when he was young, he suffered from epilepsy, type 1 diabetes, and polio. Um, and by the time of his sixth birthday, he was almost unable to walk. Um, but what he start, but he got interested interested in music, and he began to overcome all those in, uh, illnesses, and got really interested in music. He learned how to play the ukulele and the banjo. Um, in 1960, his parents split up, and he moved to Winnipeg with his mom. And over the next couple of years, he started to mess around with a bunch of bands in Winnipeg, and then he f ended up forming a band called the Squires in 1963, who played. I, I, best way to describe it's like a folk inspired surf rock. Wondering why I left it alone. Wondering if you let it come home. My love for you. Uh, during a live radio broadcast, uh, two of their tunes were recorded instrumentals, Aurora and the Sultan. And they released that as a single. There were only 300 pressings, but that, that was their first single. Um, as they started to progress a little bit, Neil Young started writing uh, uh, more and more songs. The songs that they did that weren't covers were songs that he wrote. Um, and, and one of them uh, is pretty decent called uh, I'm a Man and I Can't Cry. Uh, it was a little bit more, I don't know, not, not quite as surfy, a little bit more of the kind of uh, – I don't know what you call it, garagey birdsy stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Squires didn't last very long, and, and Neil Young ended up moving to Toronto, and he and he kind of joined the folk scene in Toronto 
and uh, moved around from various clubs in the area. Um, he met Joni Mitchell when he was up there. who's also Canadian. He hung out with the Guess Who while he was doing that. He also met Stephen Stills during that time. They got developed a bit of a friendship. Here's the interesting thing. Around that same time, he gets talked into joining a band called the Minor Birds uh, yeah. by their by their bassist Bruce Palmer, who we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But uh, either of you know who the lead singer of the Minor Birds was? Uh, could it have been Rick James? It was Rick James, <laughs> the <laughs> Rick James. She's a very kinky girl. The kind you don't take home to mother. She will never let your spirits down. Once you get up. the super, Rick James, super freak, Rick super James, freak Rick James. That's right. Who was uh, actually? Did he uh, imitate other singers? <laughs> no, they were they were uh, um they were like I mean, a the mime birds. <laughs> well, that's true, but that's a great name for a band, I think. By the way, I think so. um, but he was they, escaping. Uh, the, but wasn't Rick James escaping the draft at this time? Well, no, no, no. This is what happened. So they get signed to Motown in early '66, um, and they are they actually right before they started recording. There was an, an, a magazine article in Billboard that said what their first single was going to be. Uh, it was going to be called "I Got I Got You in My Soul." That never happened. But the band did record a single for Motown's VIP imprint called It's My Time. But here's what happened. The band's manager stole money from their advance from Motown, and he was <laughs> fired. Such a, oh, a man. recurring we story. We had that. We could have compared it to the uh, bad finger. Here, here's, here's what's interesting about that, what you just said, Jam. So to get even, the manager ratted out Rick James to Motown. He was AWOL from the Navy at the time, and he was <laughs> subsequently incarcerated by, incarcerated by the Navy. Is that uh, right? Yeah, um, and uh, and and because of that, the the single "It's My Time" was unreleased, and Motown scrapped plans, obviously, to make the album. So Neil Young and Bruce Palmer, who brought bought a hearse and decided they were going to drive to L.A. and try to find Stephen Stills. I, I'm not really sure what inspired that, but the funny thing is they they get to L.A. and they're driving around. They can't. They're spent some time. They can't locate Stephen Stills, so they decide they're going to head up to San Francisco. And they're um, they're stuck on the um, they're stuck on the Santa Mo- on Santa Monica Boulevard and coming in traffic and coming down the other opposite side of the road is Richie Ferre and Stephen Stills and so <laughs> lo and behold they hook up the four of them Richie Ferre Stephen Stills Bruce Palmer Neil Young along with this guy named Dewey Martin who'd been the drummer for the Standells who we talked about previously because Lowell George sang for the Standells at one point. Um, they're the band Dirty Water Band. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they they formed a band called Buffalo Springfield, who wow. had a monster hit called For What It's Worth. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. The song Mr. Soul, the Neil Young Buffalo Springfield song, Mr. Soul, was, it was evidently about his time with the Minor Birds. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that, that doesn't last very long. Tensions with the band. The band breaks up. Neil Young ends up signing with Reprise in 1969. He releases a self titled debut to mixed reviews. He follows that up a few months later with an album called Everyone Knows This Is Nowhere, which had Crazy Horse backing him up. Uh, that album contained Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, and went to number four uh, on the charts. 
Um, around the same time, he reconnected with Stephen Stills and ends up joining Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who had recently performed um, at uh, Woodstock. They get together, and as we, as Doug mentioned, uh, when we were doing connections, they record Deja Vu in 1970. Again, things get a little contentious, and Young leaves to focus on his solo work. So mm-hmm. in 1970, he releases an album called After the Gold Rush, which breaks the top 10 and features the songs Only Love Can Break Your Heart, Break your heart. Tell Me Why, and of course, Doug's favorite song, Southern Man. Uh, and then uh, after that, in 71, he released Harvest, which is important to the album we're talking about tonight. That album, of course, contains The Needle and Damage Done, Old Man, Heart of Gold. Uh, Heart of Gold is his only number one single. The uh, Harvest is also a number one album of that year, number one yeah. selling album of uh, seventy two, and that that kind of changed him a bit. You know, I think it kind of it changed uh, took, me. It took, I would so not ever talk to you two again. <laughs> well, it took him by surprise. I don't think he knew what to expect from. I don't think that was something he expected, and it kind of took him that 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 fame took him by surprise a bit. And uh, and it has the completely unnecessary "A Man Needs a Maid" featuring the uh, London Philharmonica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a couple of songs on there that did not need to be orchestrated. I, I think it's <laughs> safe to say that on every Neil Young album, there's a couple of songs that don't need might to be have been left better on the cutting room floor but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in here because you're you're uh, you led me up to my number one comment about neil young nobody is more unaware of when they're being good and when they're being bad than neil young exactly i think he's oblivious to his good songs and his bad songs so a lot of times first there's a one word question that comes into my mind when i listen to neil young why why exactly like why did you do that actually sometimes it's how but most of the time it's why welfare mothers make well, yeah better exactly it's the first thing that came to my head welfare <laughs> mothers make better you mean you just did a powder finger and then you got to yeah. put in you got to do this welfare mothers need better lover I mean, what is that and he, he, there's just there's just a bizarre aspect to, to Neil Young that I just think that even he doesn't really grasp. He's like, well, I just wrote this. I have no idea where that came from. By the way, I don't care where, where it came from. Yeah. And it's not. But we talk about guys that do stuff like that, like Van Morrison. I think Neil Young likes to think of himself as a vessel, but he's not a vessel. Well, well you know, sometimes who- he's a turd vessel. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's that. the thing is that when you're when you're so oblivious about how good you are, you don't really want to taint that so much. But there's guys that are better about not knowing how good they are than others. 
I wonder if that comes from a sense of restlessness because he Neil Young is obviously restless. Oh, he's totally he restless. Yeah, and I would I, say Van Morrison is frustrated everyone he's ever worked with because of well, that. I think Van Morrison's probably that way to a certain extent from my limited knowledge of him. I think yeah, I think Merle Haggard is. is as well. I think those guys are all restless to a certain extent with what yeah. they do. And I wonder if that comes it comes part and parcel with uh, not understanding what's good and what's not. Neil Young didn't just kind of come out of nowhere. His, if you know about his family, we we only know about American journalists, but his dad was a pretty famous journalist, and he was actually a, a sportscaster and a, and a very good writer. He actually wrote novels, so he didn't just like come out of nowhere. His sister um, actually sings on who actually sings on this album and actually sang on Harvest. Um, is a pretty well-known Canadian singer as well. So he he didn't just come out of this idea that he's just I hope this everyman. Look like she doesn't look like Neil Young, does she? <laughs> I don't Please. know. I have no oh, idea. How she looks like. But it, you know, um, he comes from a right. She's got background. the same sideburns, Doug. I understand. <laughs> oh, poor girl. Um, well, so just briefly, we're going to fast forward a little bit um, to. Because it's it's important to talk about his 80, 80s albums prior to yeah. the album we're talking about tonight, because uh, I think for most people with a sense of reason, what Neil Young did to himself in the eighties was essentially tor- almost torpedo his career. His the turn that he made in the eighties makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and that's when he signed with uh, Geffen. Geffen. So David Geffen uh, formed his own record company, and I guess it was one of the first people that he signed was John Lennon. Um, his uh, Double Fantasy album was one of the first albums released on on Geffen. He left Asylum, and he signed Neil Young. And Neil Young, for reasons that I don't think anybody <laughs> really understands, just went off on a total tangent. He started yeah. making albums that he he embraced um, um, nascent technology, well, things like the the vocoder, things like the yeah. His uh, first synth- album was uh, was trans, which trans. was smothered in synthesizers and vocoders. Is yeah. electronic is electronic music album essentially. Here, here's something that'll here's something that'll surprise you though, Jam. Maybe you know this already. Even though the label hated that album, and most people look back on it not fondly, it hit number nineteen on the charts. Really, yeah. I had no idea it hit nineteen. Well, yeah. it's probably because people didn't know it was going to be such a turd. No, his his last two albums with Reprise, Hawks and Doves and Reactor were both pretty they they did Birds. not do well and uh it's you know uh, I don't know if the label dropped him but let's just say it contributed to the to him not continuing with them. Um yeah. and I think he also signed with Geffen because this is what's funny. It'll be funny when we in in a moment when we raise something very interesting, but he signed a contract that essentially gave him total artistic freedom. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to do this electronic album. And they didn't like it. 
And then he tries <laughs> he tries to he tries to give them old ways, which was a country album he'd recorded that previous fall, and they said, No, we don't want no. that either. And so his response his res- no, they didn't. They refused to put it out. And so his response to that was to record a rockabilly album. Um <laughs> but everybody's rocking. And and it's a is- horrible, horrible album cover. It's a horrible right. album. It's a horrible album cover. It's a horrible most of the songs on it are horrible, but it has one of the funniest damn videos you'll ever, well, <laughs> ever see. So so what happens is he's three albums into his Geffen contract, and Geffen decides to sue him for three million dollars for producing quote unrepresentative and uncharacteristic <laughs> albums, essentially suing Neil Young for not sounding like Neil Young. Yeah, uh, which is incredible to me that that happened. I mean, they <laughs> sign a contract, give him artistic freedom, and then they say, "Oh, by the way, that you was a sound. big mistake." Um, yeah. and uh, and he ends up countersuing them. They eventually settle, and uh, and Geffen yeah. actually apologized to him for it. And they end and actually end up re- releasing Old Ways. Um, mm-hmm. and, he, and I think he does two more albums with them: Landing on Water and Life. I think Life was yeah. recorded with Crazy Horse. I think those are both the, the last two Geffen albums. And then he leaves and joins, gets back with Reprise, um, and then does this notes for you. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Jan? He was basically just railing on the commercial culture and the com- the commercialization of music. And um, yeah, there was a, a these guys do that once they get rich enough. Yeah. yeah, but the but that album was the the odd thing about it was it was he had a ten piece horn section backing him up on it. Yeah, yeah. And Neil uh, Young and a ten, now, I, you think of Neil Young and you think of a big band, right? Is that what you? Think of? <laughs> so then I, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but there was some sort of controversy that he had surrounding. Was yeah. it one of the videos? Yeah, yeah. He re, he did a video for the title track. And the title track was about exactly what you're talking about, the commercialism of music. And uh, and, and the, the the video was patterned after those Michelob ads. You remember those Michelob ads, you know, that had Clapton yeah. and, and Steve Winwood? It was Stevie patterned Winwood, after that. Yeah. yeah. And it also featured, uh, uh, it had commercial inserts. It had Michael Jackson impersonator, Whitney Houston, a bunch of stuff, a Spuds McKenzie lookalike. In fact, if you think about it, uh, this note's for you, this Bud's for you, very similar. Anyway, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson's attorney threatened MTV if they broadcasted it, and MTV ended up banning the video. Um, and the Canadian yeah. version of MTV, I don't know if it's much, much music, I think is what it's called. They ended mm-hmm. up running it, and it was a huge hit, and MTV ended up reconsidering their decision and put it in heavy rotation. And it ended up winning Best Video or Video of the Year in 1989 for the MTV Video Music Awards <laughs> after yeah. being banned by them. On a side note, it was also nominated for grant for a Grammy for best concept video, and it lost to Weird Al Yankovic's Michael Jackson's uh, or spoof of Michael Jackson's "Bad," which is called <laughs> "Fat," Fat. Think, or something. Which was did, a hilarious uh, did, video. Did Michael Jackson sue him? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Um. Anyway, and then he, he ends up releasing "Freedom," which, which has, the, has no more, and the fantastic song "Keep." Doug's second favorite Neil Young song, "Keep on Rocking in the Free World." This is where this. Okay, this is one of when I was talking. When earlier, you said fantastic like, song, you were being funny, right? I was being what is known as facetious. Oh, so I'm, I'm that's one of the that. things. This is where critics love Neil Young, and this is where I was like, I have absolutely no idea why people love Neil Young because this album got five stars in the Rolling Stone record 
or, or this album got five stars in Rolling Stone magazine. And I remember trying to like it and just not being able to. As I mentioned earlier, I think you and I both have a, I don't want to speak for Doug, but I'll speak for you, Jam. You and I both have a soft spot for Neil Young's acoustic side. I think his voice lends itself to that so much better than, you know, screech and keep on rocking in the free world. Uh, well, it's, just, voice- it's just overwrought. It's just, it, it's so in your face. And that's one of the yeah. things I don't think that Neil Young does not understand subtlety. That's, that's probably <laughs> his, his, his greatest weakness. Well, everybody well, loved that song, though. I know. I did, loved it. Um, it was covered by a bunch of people I like. Um, but uh, and then and then his and then he his his album his next album was Ragged Glory, which was a crazy which, horse album. Which is a good album, I will admit. Well, that it's good, good if album. it's good if you want to say that it's a gateway drug to grunge. I guess it's good. Over and over again. crazy horse so he goes on tour with them to support that album and he yeah. has sonic youth tour yeah. with them and <laughs> as a result of those shows being so loud yeah. he ends up damaging his ears yeah and he gets what's called hyper yeah it's it ended up being tinnitus but it was initially yeah. diagnosed as hyper or something like that i'm probably pronouncing that wrong um but uh yeah, he said he he's quoted as saying the shows were loud in the way a crashing play a plane is loud. That's what we were going for. Anyway, he ends up screwing his ears up, and as a result, he in a, in a press uh, in an article I read at the time said, "I made Harvest Moon because I didn't want to hear any loud sounds." So <laughs> the result is the album we're talking about, which is not a loud album by any not stretch. A I mean, the album before this was described as feedback, guitar noise, and occasional vocals. Um, uh, that sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah, and it's it's 30 minutes. It's it's called ARC, and it's basically 30 minutes of um, spliced together guitar feedback. It's very similar to uh, Lou Reed's metal machine music. The opposite of tuneful. Well, as I've said earlier, I I personally and you people can write if you want to. I personally think grunge killed rock and roll. And we and we to a certain extent get to thank Neil Young for that. Yeah. Yeah. And this though, that period probably has the most to do with it. That being said, we then come (laughs) to this album. Which this whole, is yeah, the whole a album, much gentler album, much more stripped is, back album, much yeah, more reflective it, album. It is so it's it's so quiet. It's like you were saying, it's almost all acoustic instruments. There's uh, electric bass and pedal steel. Steel, I think the, pedal yeah. steel. Uh, Jam, can you give us a little insight on some of the musicians on this this here album? Yeah, yeah, because I listened to Demi Lovato. <laughs> and I don't know any of these guys. 
Well, a lot of these guys actually played on uh, the Harvest album. Um, they're known as the the Stray Gators. Probably the main guy uh, who I think really makes this album and uh, really helped out on Harvest as well as the, the pedal steel player, uh, Ben Keith. Uh, he was a well-known session player. He's played with just about everyone in that Laurel uh, Laurel Canyon um, from the anybody associated with the Laurel Laurel Canyon sound he's played with uh, Linda Ronstadt, Emmylou Harris, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. He's even played with Ringo Starr. Uh, and for better or worse, he went on to produce um, probably his best known album is that album by Jewel. I can't remember it, but it, he was kind of her go to producer for a while there. Um, another person that's played on this, uh, who's probably played on mole. He's known more for his, uh, the albums that he's played with by soul artists is a guy by the name of Spooner Oldham. Uh, he's probably played on more soulful classics than just about any, um, other keyboardists. He was also part of the muscle shoals band for Atlantic. Uh, that band's also known as the swappers. Um, his claim to fame, or if he's remembered for nothing else, he did the organ part on When a Man Loves a Woman. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He changed the world for a good thing he's found. Pretty good chops there. That's a pretty interesting connection because yeah. there's a song about Neil Young that includes the line in Muscle Shoals, we have the Swampers. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you know what song? Sweet Home Alabama. Yep. Yep. So everything's a big circle. Yep. yep. Connections. Um, another guy, the bass player, um, one of the few people that has ever written a song by Bob Dylan. We're talking about the bass player, um, Tim Drummond. Uh, but he's played a lot of different instruments on a lot of different albums. And he's worked also with a lot of soul bands as well as his rock bands. And then uh, probably the guy that's he has probably played on more songs that's come out of Laurel Canyon than just about any other drummer, even more than I would say Hal Blaine. It's a guy by the name of Kenny Buttry. His, <laughs> but he probably became a multimillionaire just on playing for playing on one song, and that is Margaritaville. He was the drummer on Margaritaville. Uh, uh, yeah, he played on a lot of uh, uh, Dylan albums as well, including Blonde on Blonde. Can can so we he, can we focus on that and not on the fact that he's on a god <laughs> god awful Jimmy Buffett song? <laughs> I wish I would have written that song. I, I, I guess, I, I guess uh, what Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That song is made a billion dollars. I, I guess I should, I guess I should, pre- I should correct that. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it is really kind of uh, redundant to say God awful uh, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett song. So I apologize to the listeners. <laughs> just say Jimmy Buffett and you can assume it's yeah. God awful. So uh, the unfortunate thing about this is all, everybody, uh, all the stray gators have passed. I think uh, Kenny Buttry was the one who died uh, the most recent. But, uh, yeah, they've all passed, as have some of the other uh, players on this that we'll get to um, at, as we go through the songs. But um, well, well it's, it's worth mentioning that uh, this album well, the songs, there's a lot of good songs on it, would not be the same without Benny, Ben Keith 
yeah. and his pedal steel, which uh, I don't think I would like this song nearly as much or this album nearly as much as I do because his pedal yeah. steel playing on it is just it's remarkable. So subtle. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. yeah and it, it it's perfect. A, it's yeah. perfect for every, I mean, there's not a bit, I mean, I should say there's very rarely pedal steel that I go, Ugh. Um, yeah. on anything but it's so good on this album it's just it's perfect yeah it's almost not played like a like they play it in nashville you know it's not real finger picking it's more like he uses it as an organ more than he uses it yeah as it's kind of, it, it, it yeah. adds atmosphere and texture to the songs yeah um, yeah so. neil young is uh credited is kind of funny credited on this album is playing guitar banjo uh piano pump organ and vibes mm -hmm. so so he's kind of kind of doing a lot as well um yeah. for, a for a minimalist <laughs> album i'm assuming what he's doing is also minimalist but whatever we can talk about that if we need to as it comes up anyway yeah. all right so let's uh let's move on to track number one on side one i guess this was the cd era so i don't know if this was ever released on vinyl yeah i don't know if it was well you know it but, has been now because it's cool again right yeah. Right. Um, but thanks you to want... all those people who uh, were getting rid of their albums so cheap 20 years <laughs> ago. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first song is Unknown Legend. Somewhere on a desert she rides a This is actually I did I realized this or I read about this um, this week. It's this is actually a song about uh, Neil Young's wife at the time, uh, Peggy, I believe is her name. Um, yeah, Peggy actually, Peggy Morton Young. Yeah, she <laughs> unfortunately she's passed recently. Um, but it's it's a story of a woman longing for a life she probably never really lived, but. Um, it's an interesting song. I really like the lyrics on I, this one. It, um, it has my favorite line of any line on the album, which yeah. I just think is a brilliant line. It's a, I think it's a third line on the song where he says, I used to order just to watch her float across the floor. He's talking yeah. about her being a waitress. Right. And just I, that image of, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, he's so in love yeah. with this woman. Uh, you just just we order coffee or whatever just just mm -hmm. and just this idea of her floating across the elegance of that line just always every time i hear it i think god what a yeah, great line that is a great um, line i that that is uh and it stands out on this album unfortunately it does i agree with you um i it, it's an interesting song because it, it is about his wife <clears throat> the the two kids that he mentions in the song you know now she's dressing two kids looking for a magic kiss that line um that juxtaposed against this idea of her riding a Harley down the highway. It, yeah. it makes it sound like, uh, you know, this is his wife. They had two kids at the time. I think both of them had, had some significant health issues. One of them, I, I think had yeah. cerebral palsy and I forget what the other one, one of them has bad epilepsy. There you go. Yeah. Um, but just this idea that, uh, that, I would think that if I'm married to this woman who's the care, you know, who's taking care of my kids and this and and the age that Neil Young is at the time this album was recorded, that it's odd to think uh, to write a song about her wishing to be someplace else. I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing. And yeah. and I th I think it's telling that in the chorus he uses when he's talking about her blonde hair, 
Mm-hmm. He, he uses the term colliding with the air she breathes. I think that term collide is is exactly what it means, which is there's yeah. these two lives. She's there's one living and the one she either used to or longs to live. And mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of a sad song because is the character in it. Does, does not seem to, she's longing for something. She's not satisfied with the life she's living. Yeah. And I, that's why I think it's odd because it's his wife talking about his kids. Um, it's just a weird thing. I don't, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm wondering also if it, it, he knows that, I mean, his kids are, uh, you know, they do have congenital defects. So I, I mean, or, you know, handicapped. And I wonder if that has something to do with, with it as well. It's like he, they kind of he's she's having to take care of these kids so much while he's out doing all of his his stuff i mean she was an activist she was not somebody who just kind of sat around oh, I, I, I get that and i and she i was don't, a backup I, singer as well I, I don't i don't mean to say that you know that uh anybody i'm not i'm not meaning to say that you know that oh she's got to be satisfied with the domestic life or whatever it's just an odd yeah. thing for a mm-hmm. husband to write about his wife um that yeah. you know, I mean, because he's included in that, right? It doesn't say she's mm-hmm. riding down the highway with somebody else. It's like she's off, and I don't know. Maybe that's. that's maybe I, that- I suspect that that's hitting it, Tony. Um, mm-hmm. Some of this may be his feeling of that change of life, where you know, they talks about how she was moving all the time when she was a kid. Yeah. Which Never he put was. down roots, and now she's putting down roots. He's having to put down roots. Uh, he was smart enough not to say something about buying her a washing machine, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, the the other thing. Uh, this so this song has uh, this song's an old song, actually. I think it was. I think he started writing it in '78. Is that um, right? Yeah, yeah. When the uh, comes the time uh, mm-hmm. album, um, it sounds. Uh, this is probably tacky. It sounds like it has more energy and it sounds like it came from a time where he was writing better songs to me. It's, hmm. it's a, it's a really, this is a really good song. Um, yeah. The steel playing on it is great. His, his mm-hmm. vocals fit it really well. Like I said, it's got the best line on the album. I think the only yeah. thing I would say is a little, a little jarring to me. And 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 we can talk about this as we go on. Cause it's jarring a couple of places are the background vocals, the backup vocals. Um, really? I love the background uh, no, I, there's think, like I these, think this thing's too polished. It is. Really? There's like these oo- these eagle oohs throughout yeah. this. I could hear the eagles doing this I, song. I feel like somebody, <laughs> I feel like the wrong person got put in charge. It's like a, he just came out of a carpenter's session or something. Yeah, and, it's uh, weird. And, 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 and as I was mentioning before we started recording, there's a live version of these songs uh, that he released several years after this um, in a different order. He released this album. I think the album is called, um, well, I forget what it's called, but anyway, yeah. it doesn't have any of the background vocals on it. It also doesn't have the steel. So that's missing. Yeah. But when you're listening to it, you can hear what these would have sounded like a little raw. And I think taking those polished vocals off of some of the songs, they work fine. This song in yeah. particular, I just think, it, I think it would have been, and they're huh. not really harmony either. They're like some weird little, yeah. I don't, well, I don't know what it is. Chorus. Yeah. You know who that is? That's uh, Linda, Linda Ronstadt. I know. She's the only one on there, I think. She's the only yeah. backing vocalist. Well, she sounds like the Eagles. There's lots of Linda Ronstadt's on it, I guess. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> she, well, you know, she's the one that got the Eagles started. 
I, here, here's another kind of interesting thing. I don't know how this happens. Maybe one of you guys who are a lot more sophisticated in the music industry than I am would understand this. So this al- this song wasn't released as a single, yet it re- reached number 38 on the Billboard mainstream rock tracks. How does that happen if it's not a single? I have no idea. Is that after they started selling downloadable music or you could buy it? I I don't think so. I think this was at the time. Uh, Maybe maybe it was an unofficial release or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just based it on the number of air, like the amount of airplay it was getting. I have no idea. That could have been it. I think, yeah, about this time is when they um, started, they changed how they counted. um, It's the only song on the album that hooked me at all. Really? I never hmm. caught myself humming or thinking in my uh, out loud about any of these others. Oh yeah, there's there's uh, several songs on several here that others. I think I think are a little earwormy. This is I think this is I, I don't know if it's my favorite. I think it's probably the best song on the album. I think so too. I think you're right. Um, I think it's the best song. Right? It's pro- it's not my favorite though, but I think just yeah. as a whole, it's it's the it's the best song and and stand yeah. well. I guess we shouldn't say that because Har- uh, Harvest Moon's been covered by a gazillion people. I think most people would yeah. argue that might be the best, but I think this is the best one. This is uh, it's just a, it's a it's a good song. I think you're right, Doug, in the sense that it's the it may be the one that's the most instantly accessible. Like it hits you the the soonest. It's it's also yeah. if if you're a guy that listened to Neil Young's first albums and then dropped them after a while, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, this is the one that's the most like that. It is it, the, the hook, I think, is that C to G that he does on Harley Davidson. Yeah. That's that's but, the, that's the part that that's a strange. Just it is. Chord, it is a little bit strange. That's a strange hook, a chord change. But it really, uh, it really grabs you. The song is it's about his wife. They actually he actually met her when she was a waitress at a and when he was recording, he used to go to this restaurant all the time where she worked and. That's how they got to know each other. Well, and, and, and I, yeah, I will say this about him commenting on the song. It's very similar to what he says about this album. When people try to pin it down and say, oh, this is a sequel, loosely a sequel to Harvest. He's, he doesn't say the songs about anybody. He's actually been quoted as saying it's inspired by some people I know and some people I don't, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's about his <laughs> wife. <laughs> it's a dumb thing to say, if you ask it me. Is, yeah. Um, he doesn't want to be uh he doesn't want to be held down to anything i guess moving on to the next song uh it's from hank to hendrix can we get it together can we still stand side by Yeah, the lyrics, this isn't my favorite song on the album, although I do like the, I don't like the lyrics. I don't really like his singing that much on it, but I do like the tune and I do like the way it's produced. Uh, I love that um, harmonica and the pump organ playing together. I love the way that sounds. Um, and uh, Is that what, the, I hate to say this, is that what that is? That's not an accordion, that's a pump organ? No, I thought it was an accordion, but it's a, there's no accordion on the album. I think it's a, so it's a pump organ. Okay, yeah. I, I think I think I like this song a lot. I think lyrically it's very weak. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I do like it. And this is, I find myself humming this song around the house to the annoyance of my kids. Actually not humming it, <laughs> singing it in his... In from, the, Hank in to him, from Hank to Hendrix. Um, <laughs> Grover I, voice. 
I, I, I think one of my issues with it is this idea that um, he's using musical, um, you know, musical icons, if you will, to illustrate the passage of time. He just he, he loses that through through the song, even with the second Marilyn to Madonna. Marilyn's yeah. not a musician. And why <laughs> the heck would you pick Madonna? I don't know. You know yeah. I mean? Sometimes um, I think he just of alliteration. Him. I guess so, but Hank, go from Hank to Hendrix. But uh, but you know, it's, but that doesn't it doesn't even outside of that. You know, when he's talking about uh, when he's using you know the kind of like the idea of a musical ride as the passage of time. You know, the music you listen to throughout your life, kind of distinguishing where we are mm-hmm. in life. Right. Um, he doesn't like he talks about uh, he switches to like building materials new glass in the window or new leaf on the tree and he just yeah. doesn't the, the the imagery doesn't last throughout the song um and it doesn't seem like it'd been that difficult for him to make it do so um uh you know it's got a, i think it's uh it's a good song i mean it's got that great that great line about uh big divorce california style yeah. i just like i just love yeah. i love the way he says california the way the way he style. says Paris, yeah california yeah. style that i is, love it that's the best yeah. that's a, that uh is the second best line on the album it is yeah. and, um, well you know that tony's right if he would have stuck with using uh the music as a time stamp mm-hmm. i i think well, that would have been better yeah, because um, he says make it last like a musical ride. Isn't that one of the lines in it? So it seems like that would be yeah. what you'd be focusing on. This song is a very new youngish song. Um <laughs> it is. It it could plop down on any of his non-crazy horse albums just fine. And mm-hmm. it has a nice, it's got a nice pace, great chord progression, great tune. Uh, but there's nothing in the lyrics that grab you whatsoever, except for that one line about California yeah. style. It I I consider this um, uh, like comfort music because it, I, it's Neil Young doing all the things he does really well. The thing yeah. I was going to say positive about Neil Young is I can stand his harmonica playing. Yeah, there, there are not a lot of people I can say that about Bob Dylan, especially. But um, yeah, so if this if this is playing, I'm enjoying it. And, but I need to not pay attention closely to what he's singing about because mm-hmm. the, the, it doesn't run. The lyrics uh, are just all over the place. And they, they, uh, they absolutely are. I mean, even yeah. that, that there's that line about uh, what, what is it? Uh, the same thing that makes you live can kill you in the end. You know, I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a nice kind of, not nice, but it's an interesting summation of any relationship, right? Those little yeah. things that you love can also turn sour at some point. But mm-hmm. again, the, the song is kind of schizophrenic in the sense that it, the theme is very tenuous in the song. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't last throughout, which I think is a, is unfortunately a, um, a detriment to it. But I, I agree. I like, I, it's enjoyable to listen to. I like the song. I sing along with it. Yeah, it would be great. Uh, in a movie, in the background, setting the mood while these people are uh, in a in a, a playing pool in a, a <laughs> in some bar somewhere. Um, I, I, there's there's something about it that's great for the background, but when it comes into the foreground, 
I've, hmm. I've become disappointed with it. This is kind of a dumb question, but do we know if he was having issues with his wife at the time? Because it seems to me a lot of the songs on this album are geared towards really showing her how much he cares about her. Um, and then I just wonder if that line in uh, Big Divorce California style, because they ended up, they did end up getting divorced. Yeah, but it was like 20 years. Yeah, why not? Yeah, like I just don't later. know if maybe they were struggling at the time because it's a. Um, oh, they were starting that school. For, oh, that's um, right. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that was just kind of taxing on them. Probably. Um, yeah. I, I mean, because the, the theme, and that's another thing I think, there's the, the, the theme of this album is kind of that. It's about his his uh, mm-hmm. love for this person. Um, the songs that work, I think do. There's a couple of songs that, uh, that either uh, lyrically don't follow that theme or musically don't follow the theme of the rest of the album that stand out like a sore thumb. But yeah. in terms of the theme of the album, I think that's kind of what he was going for. So I just didn't know yeah. if they were, if they were having issues or not. Um, yeah. You and me is the next song. What does this song remind you of anything guys? <laughs> I was thinking of you and me. Your life. Yeah. I mean, this is, he even says old man in it, right? This song yeah. is essentially a remake of old man, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's got that, you know, he's got his falsetto voice in there. Um, and it's got that guitar playing. He and Springsteen does this too, where it, when they play, it's like they're, they're not strumming the guitar. It's like they're hitting the strings and, and coming off of them and makes this kind of clicking sound that just drives me crazy. And uh, I know a lot of people like that, but I cannot, it drives me crazy to me. It's like sloppy acoustic guitar playing. And he well, does that. And I know he's a good acoustic player. This is another song that's old. It was started writing this in 75 or 76. Um, really? Yeah. And this is one the one where he was, I think this is a specific song that uh, the, bassist tim drummond said you got to finish this and he's like oh, that sounds too much like harvest it, uh, yeah it sure does <laughs> sounds like one song in particular yeah. um this is this is the song that i like the background vocals on a lot mm-hmm. i think they I work do. really i oh, think they work really well it seems like they backed up on the on yeah. all the noise and the production on this one well yeah. you know it, the the backup singer is nicolette larson Right. Uh, who um, worked with him on uh, Comes a Time. And for better or worse, she actually covered. Um, <laughs> she made a lot of money for him with It's Going to Take a Lot take of a Love. A lot of love. Yeah. Well, that was a, yeah, it was a number one hit on the adult contemporary chart when, it, yeah. when she released it. Yeah. Um, you start showing up on that chart, you better be careful. Here's a, here's a quiz. singing about. Uh, uh bar drinks and here's uh, a caribbean before you know it here's a quiz for you guys what was uh what was nicolette larson's first recording credit uh she was uh record she was uh listed as uh having uh singing backup on uh tales from the ozone the commander cody album is that right (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i saw her sing with the one time i saw neil young she was the one of the backup singers Anyway, and she point out we lost Commander Cody last year. Yeah, yeah. We lost Nicolette Larson uh, a few years ago as well. Unfortunately, she she uh, yeah. I wish if you're going to have 
the if I wish the background singing on this album was more like this. It really it really works. I think mainly yeah. because it's not as polished sounding or produced sounding. It just sounds sounds like harvest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. there you go. That's it. This is it. Sounds like this. Whatever they did on harvest, they did on this. And maybe some people just didn't show up for the session. I don't know, <laughs> but I don't feel like I'm listening to uh, that uh, overproduced AM radio Gordon Lightfoot sound. Um, yeah, and I love Gordon yeah. Lightfoot. I just I just lament how overproduced he was. All right, uh, let's move on to the title track, track number four, Harvest Moon. Because I'm still. see you dance again because I'm still in love with you on this harvest moon. Well, this may this may be my favorite song on the album. It's this, a fantastic this may song. Be my least favorite song on the album. Really? really? Yeah, I feel about this song the same way I feel about Wrecking Ball. Which is what? Well, uh, everybody else in the world likes them and covers them, and I don't. You know, this oh, actually, it's so funny. We were just talking about lot of love. To me, this is the closest thing Neil Young has to uh, a lot of love. Really? I think it's sing-songy and sweet. I can see Muppets in the background. <laughs> I, you know what? I, 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 I. To be fair, my main. Uh, familiarity with this song is from the Mavericks doing it live. And, that and when like you, that might be a little bit better when you have Ra- Raul Malo singing a song. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to sound fantastic. Um, but I like this song. It's to me, it seems a bit unusual, but I, for Neil Young, but I don't know enough about his discography to know if he has other songs that are like this. Yeah. It's on got it. a lot of love. <laughs> I don't hear the, a lot of love in this one. I, I, I love that descending harmonics and with I, the, uh, like a, a guitar. He's got a he's he's playing an open tuned acoustic, and then he's got that the pedal steels doing that that harmonics descend you know descending harmonic line with him. I love that part. Um, I I I I like this song. I don't think this is. I don't I I don't get your uh, your dislike for it, Doug. It's odd to me, but. <laughs> Um, I could hear America should cover this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got that, but that line because I'm still in love with you. I want to yeah. see you dance again. I mean, yeah. it's, it's I, and this is also a tribute to his wife, as is probably most of the love songs on this album are. You know, again, I think it's it's a sweet song, and I, you know, lots it of ought people. To be, I, I know exactly what this song is for. What's that? There's a rich career lawyer living in New York, and she has to go back to her hometown in Georgia. It's rural Georgia. And she gets there to take care of some business involving her mother's funeral. And then there's this, uh, there's a dance in the square, and they have bare light bulbs hanging on a string all over. And she meets an old boyfriend (laughs) who stayed in town. And this song is playing in the background when they dance and realize that their love really should never have died. And she's given up too much to live that fast lifestyle in New York brought to you by Hallmark. 
That's a that's an I like that's a nice scene. I'd watch that. That's, that's it reminds awesome. me. It reminds me of the end of the movie Fandango, actually. Yeah. Uh, oh, that be was Christmas. much better. <laughs> yeah. um, Great movie. That ought to be it, a recommendation. It yeah. is a fantastic movie. Uh, let's hit number thirty six on the UK singles chart. Uh, All right. For anybody who cares, um, is it have I, a male female breakdown on that? I don't know. All right. Well, just to save Doug more misery, oh, or maybe bring him more misery, we'll move to the next song, War of Man. No one wins. It's a war of man. Oh, there's the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Every Neil Young album has to have some sort of social commentary in it, so I guess. This is this is when I was talking about songs that theme wise don't fit on this album. This just stands out like a it sore. Stands out, you're um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, um, can can I ask a question? If you're gonna write a protest song, shouldn't the message be clear? What the hell is this song about? I really don't know. Uh it's de- definitely the darkest and heaviest song on the album, but I have no idea what these- uh, is it about is it about man's uh just man's existence screwing up nature? Is it about men fighting each other? Is it I am is it the environmental environmental impact of humans? I don't know what this song's about. I don't know. It it's it's my least favorite song on the album. I, it's got some cool stuff in it. Like I love that bass part that's, well, that's on it. The um, acoustic solo at the end of the song, I, I'm just going to say it. It sounds pathetic. No, it's just silly. It's so silly. I don't know why he put that on there. Um, yeah. He, he, there is, sometimes Neil Young guitar solos just don't make any sense. Uh, not sometimes. That's Sometimes he'll <laughs> knock one out of the park and then sometimes... Yeah you just wonder if he has friends at all that can talk to him. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, this song is not, is not a good song. No, no. And, and um, uh, it, it, it sounds like a 19 year old song. Yeah. That you got a 19 year old that figured out that there's people who harm the environment and there's mm-hmm. people who um, are violent and he's discovered that it's wrong and he needs to tell the world. But yeah. this doesn't sound like a grown man song to me. Definitely not someone in their forties. You could see him playing this live, and all the people in their flannel, you know, cheering and thr- <laughs> thrusting their fists up in the air as he's talking about the war of man. Why they smoke you know, drugs right, right, that they got the, from a drug dealer who just and, and then and then he really blows the top of their head off by going into <laughs> rock in the free world, right? Yeah, keep yeah. on rocking the free world. Anyway, I, I think we've spent enough time on this yeah. song. It's, it's, well, it's got. It's, I like yeah. one of the things I'm. It's, this is the one of the few songs that Nicolette Larson, um, James Taylor, and Linda Ronstadt sing on. Uh, and I think that the backup vocals are actually pretty good. Might be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, there's not much. There's not anything about this song that I like except when it's over with, I think. All right. Moving on to number six, One of These Days. One of these days. One of these days. This is a, an adult man song. 
this yep. is this is my favorite song on the album. It's not lyrically. The, it's my favorite song. Well, on the me album. too. Damn it! I hate it when we all agree. <laughs> I will. I will <laughs> say. I will. Not trying to be ambitious. Yeah. It's saying something very clearly, and it's yeah. saying it well, and it's saying mm-hmm. something everybody has thought about. But I can't really name another song that pins it down as well as this one does. Well, yeah. and and the steel guitar on this song is uh, great. Yeah, so uh, um, wistful. Or, I, um, I, I will say the funny thing about, again, talking about the, vo- the background vocals on this, they it sound they're so they sound so old school to me. It's almost like you could have gotten the Jordan Airs to sing on this song. You know, that's not yeah. a bad that's not a bad no, thing. It's not a but, bad thing uh, at all. But it uh, they work and yeah, this is this is a song that I uh, this is a song that I instantly liked and mm-hmm. uh, just would would repeat re- do repeat listens to. I just thought it was and you're right, Doug. It's a it's a it's a guy who uh, who understands that. Um, He's at a point in his life where he's looking back and he wants to say thanks to a bunch of people who he yeah. should have along the way. Just as we all do, we miss mm-hmm. those opportunities, right? Yeah, and you, I watched a documentary and a lot of people were talking about, um, you know, he, he left some uh, wreckage behind him. <laughs> uh, and, and people would be planning out uh, to go on tour with him or something. And he would cancel it and they'd just be in the breach uh, with, you know, no, no way to make a living. And uh, all of the people he worked with, they had a little segment with him. They had, uh, I guess, Cosby, Stills and Nash all commented on how he was such an independent character. But he, you know, he burned some bridges and uh, I think he even talks about burning bridges on his still, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. I, yeah, you know, to burn I, bridges. I never tried to burn any bridges. Yeah. Well, and that, <laughs> well, you know did. what? I, that that may be true. Yeah, I think maybe in his mind, he just thought he was doing whatever. But I think I think that's a very poignant line, well, you I know, because I think yeah. we we all get to that point where I mean, there are people that I've, uh, I think we've all done this. There are people that we unintentionally cut out of our lives, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and then like you don't realize wanted to record and you didn't. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's like, uh, and, and you, sometimes you don't realize how much a person's impacted your life. And you kind of want to go back and, and say, hey, you know, looking back on it, that was a really. Like know, that old country thing. fiddler that used to play. Right. Can we also just point out that uh, just if you were to put this on on a on a thing where you look at things 180 degrees from each other, one of these days is the opposite of one of these nights. So it's like an, it's an anti eagle song. We want to get to get at that point. Yeah, it's about time. Tony, I tell you, I t- Tony, uh, there's something about a day's work that softens you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that we are usually facing the uh, smoothed out uh, Tony at the end of the day, rather than the one with the spikes in it for the Eagles and uh, Jimmy Buffett and anyone else out there. Yeah, I apologize to our listeners for my. <laughs> my aggressive behavior um, and then he mentions uh one of our favorite countries uh canada in yes. this mm-hmm. in this song and i'd just like to take this opportunity to thank canada for their support <laughs> once again okay moving on to track number seven such a woman
this might be one of the prettiest songs that Neil Young's ever written. I mean, I, I think the strings are just beautiful on it. Um, I, I don't know what to think about this song. It is a beautiful song. Um, it's This is going to sound very odd, but um, I was listening to it the other day and this image in my head came, came or this image came in my head. It, it sounded like John Lennon singing a Leonard Cohen song to me. Uh, I don't know why it, it just, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it you know, just, that's not, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I struggle with knowing what to think about this song. Cause it is very pretty. Um, yeah. But uh, when push comes to shove, I don't know if I'd say that I love it, um, but I do like it a lot, but uh, yeah. it is, a, it I, is the prettiest song on the album. Everybody talks about Neil Young's guitar playing. I think his piano playing. He's he's the piano player on this. And I, I think his piano playing blows away his guitar playing. Um, I don't know why he doesn't do more session work as a piano player. He's got such a, a rich... Because um, you look silly playing the piano wearing flannel. Yeah, and, he, and having a harmonica strapped around your neck. That's another thing. I, I, that's the only thing about this song I would change. I don't really know why he put the harmonica in there. Uh, but I love the background vocals, the instrumentation, other than the the strings are just very subtle. It got that echoey bass. And, yeah, it's a uh, good song. Drum. Yeah, I just it's really a mature it. sounding song. Yeah, for him. I, I, I mean, for this would, album. If if you heard this song without the vocals, uh, you would not suspect it was a Neil Young song. That's right. I think that's what I'm trying to get at because I was like, what does this sound like? And it sounded like, and I don't mean maybe the Lennon thing just popped in my head because of woman. I don't know, but it, it just sounded like a Lennon song or a Leonard yeah. Cohen song to me. Mm-hmm. Um it but, does yeah. sound like something that could be on Imagine. Uh yeah, it does. Where, where Lynn, I don't know if Lennon was well, losing his voice or what, but he he became he had yeah. uh, the reverb turned up all the way and he had a lot of strings and everything on his record. What? Right when he's accusing uh, Paul McCartney of making easy listening music, which always sounds <laughs> funny. It's interesting that you you mention uh, Imagine because um, the string the guy who did the string arrangements is a guy by the name of Jack Nietzsche, and he Ugh. worked a lot with uh, Bill Spector. Um, he was also sometimes a member of the Wrecking Crew. He'd been all around, but he did a lot of string arrangements. He did like uh, he did Rolling Stone work with the Rolling Stones. He did the uh, the string arrangements on one of my favorite Tom Petty songs, Southern Accents. But he was also just known as just a bizarre guy. He did some really really strange things and was known to just have a very you know violent, almost violent temper. Huh. Um, he uh, was just not supposed to have been a very pleasant guy. That's to, odd to for a guy who's a string arranger. You, know, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. think of him being violent. <laughs> oh, man, y'all cool. Here he comes, the string yeah. arranger. Here comes our yeah. string arranger. You better watch it. He's got a bottle of whiskey in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, there, he had to have a restraining order put against him, I think. Really? One of his, yeah. Let's move on to number eight, Old King, the other song I feel uh, – Stands out like a sore sore thumb on this album. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Does the does the does the protagonist in this song even really like this dog? I can't tell. 
I mean, he's like he's paying homage to him, but he he does he doesn't really have a whole lot of good things. I mean, he to talks say about, about remembering kicking the dog, and then he yeah. and then he nonchalantly says this dog is history. And then for a dog <laughs> that supposedly means so much to him, he's like, "Hey, I've got a lot of life to live. I need I'll find another one." I mean, I don't yeah. this song. I uh, I don't know what to say about this. Song I, I don't. I, I, I think, think he was a, drunk with his friend in the back of a pickup, and he started playing this, and then they <laughs> he had to he had to record it for his buddy who helped him write it i mean nothing makes sense about this song nothing um, makes I, sense i want to i want to it's it's kind of john Denver doing uh thank god i'm a country <laughs> boy style yeah uh, you're, i can see that it's, oh it's man just, like, yeah it's just two good old boy with my good old dog yeah. and it's just the owner, the dog, and he's the owner being around. a Yahoo driving around. And this yeah. is the first time. I guess he's in a pickup truck instead of a van. Usually, he's in yeah. a Econo line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's got, of course, it's got a banjo, and it's a, uh, it's, and because it's about a dog, it's, the, it's probably the peppiest song on the, on the album. I don't know if there's such thing as it's, a. This got to be him playing the banjo, right? Yeah, it because is. Because it's clearly not a session player. No. Well, it, uh, it's. And I'm guessing it's Spooner Oldham playing the piano on it. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, like, I don't, is there a unpeppy song about dogs? No. <laughs> but again, I just, you know, when we're talking about just the kind of all over the place, you know, for a song, of, I mean, if I was a dog lover, this is not a song that would make me feel nostalgic yeah, for my dog. It's like, what what the heck is this guy I don't talking think the about? SP, he was, yeah. It's the best old hound dog I ever did know. Well, the SPCA, also, I'm sure. Uh, he's dead, so what? <laughs> yeah, he's dead, so what? And yeah. he kicked, you know, he, the one memory he specifically mentions is that time he kicked him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this is not going to be the theme song of the SPCA. Let's put it that no, way. No, it's weird. Anyway, yeah. all right. It's so, entirely unnecessary absolutely it's a hey this uh jam this goes to your question why yeah. <laughs> if this if this song was funny it would be a novelty song but it's not, <laughs> even, not funny yeah it's not it's even not, funny doesn't even have that going for it no um, i don't know maybe he just thought it was time to write a dog song I well guess. i'm glad he got it out of the way <laughs> um all right moving on to dreaming man in the meadow I don't know what this song's about either. I don't know what it's. I really like it, um, but again, it's got that guitar, <laughs> that clicking guitar playing in it that it kind of drives me crazy. But uh, I love that little riff that it's got in when it stops. And, so uh, I, I, I don't want to offend you, Jam, but you know what the vocals on this song reminds me of? What? Fly Away, the John Denver song with <laughs> Olivia Newton John singing the backgrounds on Fly Away. <laughs> that's exactly what this sounds. Dream. I can that's see not that, just yeah. this song. Now that you mention that, yeah, there is a that, lot of it. Olivia. Sounds like uh, Oblivious Neutron Bomb all over this album with that yeah. soft voice. Anyway, well, that's his just, sister. That's, that's you know sister we've never Astrid, talked about yeah. John Denver, and he's come up twice on this album. <laughs> His that's his sister Astrid doing the the backing vocals on it, which I like. I think the the 
I love the. the I think they. I think they fit the song. I'm not gonna. Again, I'm not. I didn't bring that up as a as a detriment, other than it just reminded me of that. And I will. uh, Maybe I'm the only person on this podcast that's actually likes John Denver, but um, (laughs) um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it just has struck me as sound. It sounded like Fly Away to me. Um, yeah, but. I just don't know what it's about because the guy is he's in a he's in his van in a field with a loaded mm-hmm. gun. What what's that about? I don't I don't uh, get it. It sounds like he started to write. It sounds like there was uh like he got up and went to the bathroom and an hour of the show went by and you come back and it's about something else now. It sounds like he's <laughs> about to kill somebody. Yeah. Or and, or yeah, or himself. Who well, knows? That, that line, we've got a problem. You know that that the backup vocal yeah. singer that's, that, and that's that like backup singer going dreaming man. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it, just, I, like, it could be a a a murder movie. Yeah, but yeah. they were somewhere else and was club med, med vacation. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I don't know. It's incoherent, or it's so sophisticated. I don't get it. Well, I, I yeah, it sounds like he could have been going for this idea. It's kind of the same theme of the first song of this. Uh, you're st- you're kind of stuck in this domestic life and you're, you're thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I mean, don't understand the, 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 the very first line about, or not the first line, but the first stanza where he talks about being in the van in a field with a loaded gun. I don't know how that fits into any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with it's you. weird, but maybe somebody can write us and let us know what they think. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this, this is another <laughs> one with that. It's got a little sing songy uh, element to it that, uh, um, I I just can't get he'll do that every now and then I don't care for it yeah. <laughs> moving on to the last song Natural Beauty Natural Beauty should be This is the like um, Harvest. It's got this is a live song. I mean, Harvest had a live song as well. Needle and the Damage Done. Um, this one's recorded live in in Portland. I like it. I wish it weren't as long as it is. It's I way love, too long. It's way too long. Um, I mean, you don't need this. It doesn't need to be ten uh, minutes long. It's got, but I love that bass marimba that's in it, which I'm guessing is being played by uh, Ben Keith. Um, it's pretty rambling, you know. You're just like, okay, you could have knocked out a couple of course. Uh, it, uh, the length of it makes it to me musically uninteresting. After a yeah. while, it's like, okay, yeah. I, I, I'm done. Let's move on to something else. Yeah, the the chorus is nice, um, but there's but to me, it's like there's not enough of it. I wish there was more of the chorus I, on this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just it seems it's a very this album sort of uh, peters out. I agree. Yeah. It, and then, but I, I like, it kind of redeems itself at the very end. I love that pump organ kind of coda at the end. And then I'm guessing this was added later for effect, but it's got those kind of bird and insect sounds at the end, I guess, given because you're in, it's a natural beauty. It's natural. It's nature. Here we are out with some birds and insects and a pump organ. Um. <laughs> Careful with that term. Um, <laughs> um, well, yeah, um, 
anyway all right yeah so that's uh that's harvest moon everybody uh anybody feel like uh it's a front-loaded album it is a very front-loaded album uh well yeah because i think it starts to lose steam really after one of these days i mean such a woman's a nice song but i think it Mm -hmm. starts to it starts to peter out after one of these days um yeah yeah for me it's it's uh if you put um one of these days number three on here on the album yeah mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> not ever finish yeah i i i i could see that i could mm-hmm. see that um it's funny you know this album uh this was a a pretty good selling album for him i mean yeah. it went platinum and as uh, by february of 93 and multi-platinum in 97 the funny thing about a little coda to this is when he went out to tour it you know he'd He'd uh, created a monster with all these grunge fans, and mm-hmm. uh, and he went out to tour this album, and and you know it's much softer than the album that preceded it, mm-hmm. and uh, and there were a bunch, you know, in the crowd were all these old school Neil Young fans who were happy to hear him doing this stuff again, and then yeah. all these grunge people who wanted him to you know play Dinosaur Junior covers, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, he would have to stop in the middle of the songs and tell people to stop shouting because the audience was so rowdy. <laughs> They just couldn't coexist, you know. It's not like the old good old days where the hippies and the and the stoners and the um mm-hmm. and the cowboys were all hanging out in the at the uh, armadillo. This was yeah. something, something new. You had these these angry grunge flannel wearing weirdos yeah. and the hippies. They couldn't coexist. And this is right after Freedom and Ragged Glory. I guess yeah. that was uh, yeah. he was in some of his uh, crazy horse craziness. Yep, yeah, but he was, but he was not. I mean, he was touring this album acoustically because, as I said earlier, he yeah. uh, he didn't want to. He was t- done with the loud noises. They screwed him up. Uh, con- this is a consequence of being old. But I think of this as a new Neil Young album. I do too. <laughs> and I do too. <laughs> this is only halfway through his discography. Yeah, which blows me away. And well, then I realized that I guess I jumped off of. I didn't even make it to the 80s with Neil Young. I, I, didn't I jumped off this. after Russ never slept. <laughs> I don't think many people made it through the 80s with Neil Young. Yeah. Um, well, he had I, some big hits. Uh, he did towards the end. The, um, not with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, it's funny. When we were listening, to, when I started listening to this album, I felt like I must have owned it at some point because I knew all the songs on it uh, in mm-hmm. a way that I shouldn't have. Um, so I think I probably, I was one of these people that bought this album when it came out. I don't own it anymore. So obviously I lost interest in it. You know, I find he's kind of a compelling character. I find him interesting and he's, Mm -hmm. and he's been involved in so many interesting things. Um, you know, uh, and he can write a damn good song when he wants to. Yeah, he can. Um, He just, like you were saying earlier, Doug, he just can't. He you just can't doesn't tell know. When he did. Yeah, <laughs> and when he, he just didn't. doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. The problem is the no, not knowing when he didn't, and moving <laughs> forward with that. That's the issue. Um, yeah. You know. All right. I, I bet. I bet you could take half the songs off this album and replace them with other songs off of some of these others, and you would have a five star album. I think you're yeah. probably right about. Well, right. so okay, let's go to that since we're talking about that. Let's uh, let's talk about our um ratings for this album so i'm gonna again uh, as we always do i'll do jam last since he is uh the one who picked this album and i'll go to doug i'll go to you first well as a uh i don't even have to pretend to be cold-hearted because um 
my ambivalence towards Neil Young is runs deep and I don't have a, I don't have to detach myself. Um, I'd, I'd do three, five, um, as a, as a critic, I'm, I take a lot off for the, the production. Uh, they, it seems like they don't know what you do with Neil Young. Uh, you don't cover them up with all that strings and, uh, the background vocal is wrong for this kind of music that it's too uh, full, um, and too airy, uh, the songs are uneven. There's some very good songs on here, and there's some that uh, should be uh, in a drawer somewhere at his ranch. Um, <laughs> the uh, as personal, I'm not going to be far off. I might go three six personally. Uh, nothing on this album excites me very much, uh, except for uh, about maybe three or four songs. And that that old king really made. I don't. I can't tell how much power that has to make me not listen to Neil Young just remembering that. So, <laughs> um, okay, we'll do me next. Um, I'm going to give it a little higher score, critics wise. I think this album was probably a breath of fresh air when it came out to a lot of people, and since it did lean towards that harvest sound, which was his first, as we talked about earlier, his first number one or only number one album. Right is only number one. Yeah, uh, I, so. I I I think it's a four critics wise. Um, there's enough on this album that uh, as as a you know just as somebody listening to it outside of whether it's something I would listen to, um, I think it deserves that score. Um, I, I I'm not I'm not far off from you in terms of listening to it, Doug. I think I'd give it a three six as well. Um, there are songs on this album I like a lot. But as a whole, it's very uneven and it does kind of fade. Uh, its listenability to me fades in the end. Um, and uh, yeah, if you could, it, it is very front loaded, but those songs are great. Uh, the ones that are, those songs I like on this album, I like a lot and I will listen to them a lot. Um, but in terms of what we talk about on this podcast as a whole, I think this album, uh, lacks in its cohesiveness as a full album and it does uh i think lend itself to skipping which is uh, why i would give it a three six so okay jam your pick what's uh what's what say you okay so i'm gonna uh as a critic i'm gonna give you give it the um, same rating you did tony uh, a 4.0 i think that um it's an excellent Neil Young album, but I I could see why a lot of people wouldn't think it's his his best album. Personally, I'm going to give this uh, album a four three. I I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised. I, I thought that I would give it a little bit higher when I first recommended that we do this, but um, some of the things that you guys pointed out, uh, the Oking for one, um, some of the uh, some of the playing on it, Neil Young in particular, his guitar playing on it really um, stood out a couple of places where it just drove me crazy. Um, but I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Doug, on the backing vocals and the uh, production. I think the backing vocals and the production are, are remarkable. And I, I really like the way that I do. And I'm also going to disagree with you, Tony. I do think this album is cohesive as an album. Um, and I remember 
when I first bought it, thinking that maybe it wasn't, I would do some skips and everything. But overall, I do think it's it it holds up pretty well on its own as an album. And like I was saying at the start of this, it it is my favorite Neil Young album, and it's one of the it's probably the only Neil Young album I can get through all the way. Speaking okay. of Neil Young albums, <laughs> and y'all name the five Neil Young albums that are on uh, Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Yes. I mean, I can try. Harvest. Bing. Rust Never Sleeps. Ding. Live Rust. Oh, uh, okay. Is this album? Hmm. Jim, you want to try a couple? There are three left. Freedom. After the Gold Rush. Oh, God. Why didn't I? I didn't even think about that. And the very obvious, everybody knows this is nowhere. And tonight's the night. The critics, darling. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I can't believe I didn't. I, after the Gold Rush, how did I not even think about that? That's God. That's. I feel like I should be hit over the head. Five albums, huh? Well, that's, he's he's considered an excellent songwriter. Um, I think he's a good songwriter. I think I think you. It's funny. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you could take if we could go into his discography and pull all of his great songs. We'd probably make half the albums, but they'd all be great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know? Even even Harvest, which I consider a classic, has has some that. Uh, I, I don't understand what he's doing with a man needs a maid. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> anyway, enough of that. He's written some great songs. Uh, yes. And we've talked about this before. You know, he does not have a voice that you would consider a classic great voice, no. but it works when it, it, when it works. It's great. And mm -hmm. it, it works. I talked about that comforts, that comfort music he does. It's mm -hmm. just that plotting uh that plotting drum I, sometimes the drum is just it, i don't know i guess it's a kick drum just going boom boom everything's real regular his guitar playing is real regular uh and uh then that voice is on the top of it and it works perfectly with that i'm just driving down the uh driving down the highway in a meditation with this music in the background uh it, i find it real comforting I can't yes, you know, JM, I'm upset because we've talked about this old album, but I know there's some uh, people out there that would like to be exposed to something new. Uh, Tony, what are the kids listening to these days? Well, uh, <laughs> you got an old album, don't you? I've got an album from 1996. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, very new. Very Jumping new. ahead four years. Um, this is okay. I'm going to talk about Charlie Chesterman. Um, so, and in particular, I'm going to talk about his second solo album, Studebakersfield, which, by the way, is a fantastic name for an album. That is a great name. Um, yeah. So, uh, this is an album I wish we could do on our podcast. And maybe if we were further along, it is something we could do, but I don't know if it lends itself to doing the deep dive right now, kind of where we are. But I really want to stress that people should immediately go out after listening to this and listen to this album. So Charlie Chesterman was the leader of, of a Boston band called Scruffy the Cat. And they were like a high energy kind of roots leaning jangle guitar oriented band from the 80s that really, really deserved a lot more notice than they got. Um, 
And I really, again, want to encourage people to go go out and get this. But um, when he, he he kept moving the band towards the more rootsy kind of sensibility as they progressed from their debut album, High Octane Revival, to which was released in 86, to The Moons of Jupiter, another great album uh, name, yeah. uh, which was released in 88. So he his first solo album was called Book of Flames. And his third, I'll just want to mention his third solo album was called Dynamite Music Machine, which was released in 97. But this album, Studebaker's Field, 96, is, I, I just cannot talk enough about it. It's um, significantly more traditionally country sounding than than the than anything he ever did. It's got steel guitar on it. It's got fiddle on it. His vocals are, um, they're perfect for this album. Um it's it's they're earnest when they need to be and they're they 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 you know they crack they'll be able to just crack at the right time they're full of joy when they need to be um the uh the whole thing is just great it's a pretty long album uh in terms <clears throat> of tracks but uh the lead off track on it called Mr. Blue Country rock gem, just lots of jangly Rickenbacker on it. Um, uh, the ballad of Hol- of Holiday Ramblers reminds me. I think this is why I'm recommending this. It reminds me, tune wise, not subject matter, but tune wise of one of these days. I've been to Columbia, Missouri, and I've played in Mobile, Alabama. I live here in Boston, Massachusetts. And I smell Gary, Indiana, but I ain't going nowhere. Off of the album we just talked about, it's it just it's very reminiscent sounding of that um, that song. Uh, the song "Mona's Prayer" is two minutes of perfection, just two minutes yeah. of perfection, and uh, and, and uh, out of Nowheresville is just a raucous horn fueled rock and roller. It's just a fantastic album. It's easily one of my favorite top, favorite top ten album of the '90s. Uh, unfortunately, I just want to put this code on. Unfortunately, Charlie Chesterman, who is somebody that I really admired musically, died of cancer in 2013 at the age of 53. So mm-hmm. it's really sad because he that guy would have continued to make just fantastic music. But again, Studebaker's Field, go check it out. I cannot recommend it enough all right well we've come to the end of another this is vinyl tap episode as always we're interested in your thoughts on our show so please look us up on twitter at tapping vinyl or visit our facebook group page or you can email us at tapping vinyl at gmail.com or you can go to our web page tapping Well, you'll find out more information about this episode or past episodes, and you can even leave us a comment there. Next week, we'll be looking at a smoking debut album by arguably the greatest guitar player to ever come out of the Lone Star State, Stevie Ray Vaughan, his album, Texas Blood. Well, 
your hosts, Doug Cooper, your co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your always humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11 and reminding you not to kick a dog. <laughs>